there's that factor that that human psychology comes into effect where you really want something that you can't have and we just keep keep, keep seemingly like let's say we feel very strongly for people and things and anything that we can't have anymore um, not just music there's the case of john f kennedy there's case of martin luther king these are political figures who died before their time and they've been they've been basically cementing their legendary status hey guys my name is akshita i'm a data analyst and a travel enthusiast i'm anand i'm a finance bro and a tech geek and you're listening to the why coordinate the weekly podcast where we discuss the why behind human society and behavior lessons from pop culture and our own experiences to lead a more intentional efficient and happy life Hi Akshita, how's your uh, week been? Hi Anak, <laughs> it's been good. Good to hear your voice again, again after one day. It feels like old times back again. I know. I know. Uh, it just yeah. it just took one one day to get back to that old familiar feeling. Uh, True. How so you been? I've been good. I've been good. Uh, I've been busy with a bunch of random stuff that I always involve myself with. But otherwise, it's been nice. Of course. Um. <laughs> uh, and uh, so so today we are we joined by shamin from uh, dhaka bangladesh who by the way has his own podcast so he's he's a veteran podcaster that we have uh, shamin why don't you introduce yourself uh, to our audience or listeners you know why said audience hi anak <laughs> hi anak hi ekta um thank you for embarrassing me straight up by saying that i am a veteran podcaster by no means do i claim to be a veteran i think it's more of a one of those things that came out of lockdown last year when we were all experimenting with our lives even that we didn't know how to deal with being trapped in the house for so long but yeah uh, so yeah that was just kind of like a uh, excuse for my friends to get together every week um anyway thank you guys for having me on this podcast i'm a big fan of yours um, i think it's a great initiative overall so just to introduce myself my name is samin and i'm based in dhaka bangladesh in case you don't know anything about dhaka if you there's one detail you want to remember it's the most densely populated city in the entire world so yeah i'm never really lonely because you don't have the option to be lonely here um as for myself um so i did my undergraduate from the university of dhaka here in business and i uh, majored in finance after my university i went into the con- uh, the company unilever um if you don't know unilever think ben and jerry's we make that so yeah um i've been working there for a little over a little less than 3 years now So yeah um at some point i decided to pursue my mba at rotman and uh, here we are uh, in terms of personal interests i'm a huge manchester united fan football fan in general so yeah if anyone if, if any of you are listening then please do pray for manchester united next season um other than that i have an interest in books and the usual stuff and obviously i've tried to delve more into my interest over the last 15 months or so because we've all had a little bit of more time to ourselves haven't you but yeah that's pretty much it okay So I mean uh, what what kind of books uh, do you like to read what, what's the book you read recently that really resonated with you So my my let's say my my story or my journey with books is kind of it's strange in a way like when i was younger i used to read books almost like obsessively like whatever i found lying around i'd read but i'd stay up late at night reading all the harry potter books i think i read all of them each of them like 6 7 times or probably more uh but then i think uh, when i was starting to like get into my late teens is also the start of the technology boom social media boom having facebook in your hand as opposed to the computer which you had to load up 
I think it, I, I stepped away from reading a bit. I was more looking at my phone most, most of the day or watching TV or most of the day. Um, but I've always had that nagging feeling, you know, where I was like, you know what, I used to really get a kick out of reading books. And I really do want to go back to that sometime. What really spurred me on, I think last year was uh, when I realized that I was, since I was working from home, I was staring at the screen all day. So I wanted some sort of entertainment, which was not staring at the screen. And then books became the random alternative. But then there was always that problem where, of, you know, if you want to read a book, you have to find it, you have to buy it, you have to get it shipped to your house. So there was that inconvenience of it. And I am a creature of, I am an, at the mercy of convenience in many ways. Uh, this year, at the beginning of the year, one of my friends got me a Kindle and it opened my eyes and it reintroduced me to the world of books because I, now I can pirate all the books in the world for free. And uh, <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've gone back to reading a lot. I think the, la the, book I'm uh, the last book I read was, I think the last book I finished was Leading, which is a book by Sir Alex Ferguson and uh, Michael Moritz from Sequoia Capital. And it, it was basically a breakdown. If you don't know who Sir Alex Ferguson is, he was the manager of Manchester United for almost 27 years, unprecedented kind of success. So he and Michael Moritz of Sequoia Capital basically got together to kind of define what leadership traits you should have. And they detailed it in the book. It was a great read for me personally, being a United fan. I think it's a great read for anyone, in fact, because like, you know, you'd want to replicate this man's success. And it was nice hearing it from an outside point of view as well. And, you know, Michael Moritz really gave it that theory-based thesis that you can apply outside of the sport as well. So, yeah, that's that book I read. That's interesting. And that's a very odd combination of people to pair up to write a book about leadership. Completely. Uh, but also Completely. makes sense at the same time. Uh, okay. I think we can uh, dive straight into the topic for today, which is... Uh, very interesting and also fairly open to interpretation. So it'll be, we haven't discussed the topic between the three of us before this. So it'll be interesting to see how each one of us kind of <laughs> perceives it. Uh, so the topic that we have that Samin has chosen is, is called, why do we think of others the most when they're gone? And uh, yeah. to kick off this discussion, I want to go around asking if there's an example of someone that you miss more now that they've, they've gone, they're gone. Sumin, would you want to start? Okay, yeah, I'll start. Um, see, this is like, this actually, the first thing that comes into my mind is that whole, there's a very emotional aspect to it because it brings to your mind, the first thing it should naturally is deceased relatives of sorts. So everyone in the world has some sort of family member or friend or something else that, uh, someone else who's passed away. And you tend to feel a lot strongly for them, at least, it hits you more strongly once they're gone than it did when they were around. And obviously, it, uh, it makes me think of the family members I've lost and how I felt after losing them. Pretty how I used to feel about them before they were, let's say, uh, they passed away. Uh, but I also, the thought that comes into my mind is also that there's, a, there's that old adage, you know, you don't know the value of something until it's gone. And it can, it, it can be seen all around, and not only in the case of deceased relatives, but also when a friend moves away or when you leave school for the first time or when you don't have a high paying job anymore, like I will be in a few months time. But yeah, so there's a lot of things that, you know, you tend to place value of it retrospectively. Um, and it also, I think, um, sorry if I'm going a bit too academic here, but sometimes like uh, I think about how famous figures in history and politics and music all these, a lot of these figures have something in common. Like the truly legendary figures have something in common is that they were gone before their time, before we really truly saw them for what they were worth. Like if you look into music, 
the Beatles. The Beatles were active for only seven years. And I think a part of their legend is the fact that they broke up. And now that 50% of them are dead, if you don't believe in the Paul, Paul McCartney conspiracy theories, then it's like there's that notion that, you know, there was this great like musical group and they'll just never be there. And that, that increases their value in hindsight because there's that factor that, that human psychology comes into effect where you really want something that you can't have. And we just keep, keep seemingly like, let's say we feel very strongly for people and things and anything that we can't have anymore. Um, not just music, there's the case of John F. Kennedy, there's the case of Martin Luther King. These are political figures who died before their time. And they've been they've been basically cementing their legendary status. Um, so yeah, I think that's what comes into my mind. I think it plays into normal human psychology. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I agree, and I'll, I'll circle back to this point about how is value created for especially pieces of art. I've uh, in the past year I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about why a piece of artwork is more valued than others. But to get to the to address the question at hand uh yeah i I feel that it's also kind of because on on some level like at the back of your mind i'm 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 going to talk even more more personal like person as an immediate to your surroundings uh so there's a book that i'm reading right now it's it's the one that we have for the book club and it's about you know people who are very high functioning and very successful in their lives but what they end up doing is uh they they compromise on their relationships with their spouses and their children to focus on their careers yeah. and then after a few yeah. years it's, it's 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 too late and you know they kind of have uh, basically shit the bed on that and and the reason for that is for the whole period of like 15 20 years when you're focusing on your career at the back, back of your mind you always feel that you know you can always go back to them like you can always uh, make up for it or you can always value them later on but it's only once they're gone is when you cannot no longer do that so that that sort of optionality or that sort of convenience that you have at your back of your head uh goes away and 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 that's that's true of people deceased relatives like uh you know i i have only one one um, grandparent remaining out of the four that we get and uh, uh probably i did not value my time with them as much when i was younger and now because of that experience I value my time with my grandfather even more because I know that there's literally nothing I can do to kind of go back. Uh, Akshita, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, no, I think both of you have kind of covered what I also feel about this topic. Um, I So yeah, obviously there's this one entire thing about um, someone you miss, which is a person. And I very luckily, touch wood, haven't really been through um, any immediate extreme loss. Uh, in terms of relatives, family, etc. Um, although I have had a very close friend of mine pass away uh, in college. Um, so that is something that I might touch upon during this conversation. But yeah, for me, more about, you know, uh, we think of others or think of things that we take for granted right now and then miss later. It also comes up to, as you said, like music, art, etc. And for me now that we're all moving to a different country, like moving out of our homes and moving out. Just this, your house, your 
family, your parents, the food that you eat, the comfort that you have, all of these things are things that at this point, all of us are possibly taking for granted. Like I could not care less about the dal chawal I have right now. It's literally rice and <laughs> lentils. But I know the second, that like the third day I'm there or like one week down the line, two weeks down the line, I will... I wouldn't mind flying to India for that one one uh, bowl of that. And I don't know. I mean, um, this this topic for me, it's not just related to people. It's just related to things, memories, etc. So yeah, maybe we can discuss that further. You're not alone in that dull kind of uh, <laughs> feeling. I, I, I definitely know that I couldn't give less of a, let's say, a priority to the food right now. But I know how I feel like six months down the line once I don't have it anymore <laughs> for sure and my mom never fails to uh, like you know she she never lets it out. get this yeah exactly every <laughs> every every two days she'll be like you miss this when you're there like you will come and appreciate me when I'm there I'm like I appreciate you now also and she's like more you'll do it more once you're there I'm like cool bro okay. my parents point out things that I I know I won't miss because I don't miss them here like for example <laughs> jackfruit it's a it's a fruit I've never I never eat and then they're like, eat it, you, you won't get it there. I'm like, okay, that doesn't change my life anyway. I never eat it here either. In fact, in fact, uh, food or like the food that you eat in Asian households, not getting to eat that food is one of my key incentives to live abroad because then I don't have to eat this dal chawal and sabzi that we get here. Uh, but that being said, yes, I uh, kind of agree with, you and that and it doesn't get easier like I, I've gone through this whole cycle of you know be, growing up at home then going abroad missing it then coming back getting it again then going again so but every time it does not get easier it, it's exactly as I'm as miserable thinking about it as I was the first time I was about to leave home um, which that's comforting <laughs> yeah yep uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't feel any bad for you you're just like cool we're all on the same boat yeah nice. yeah so yeah so let, let's I let me quickly like address the the thing about like art artwork gaining value because of scarcity and then we can get to Akshita's point about things and events and experiences uh so so like if you if you look at artwork that is extremely valuable and you know that gets auctioned off for millions of dollars uh a key key point is that they're they're made by artists who are not dead so you can't get more of it (laughs) and it's it's generally a, and and the other thing is that even when they were living, there was value. So like, for example, the Sistine Chapel, um, there was value associated with it because you could only go watch, view it when you were standing in that sort of uh, archway and, you know, looking at, at that. Uh, now, in today's day and age, where literally anything is accessible to you at a click of a button, the value and the scarcity of these things is reduced significantly, which is which is a problem for uh, you know these this whole industry of art and the Christie's auction house, which stands to gain quite a bit. And as an industry, like there's only so much artifacts that you can auction off. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so now they have this problem of how do you create more value? How do you create uh, like more things that that you know get that kind of attention? So then you have this sort of modern art movement which is complete nonsense in my opinion but i don't want to go off on a tangent talking about how uh, <laughs> fraudulent i feel modern art is uh, <laughs> uh, but but like my key point is that uh, like art derives value any kind of art derives value from scarcity and also from 
the fact that you know there's uh, it was meant to be seen and experienced in a certain way which was special and exclusive for sure yeah yeah i i firstly i completely agree with you about the modern yeah. art thing like um, it's one of the most disassociating things i have about like today's world where i just don't know how these things are auctioned off for real money but uh, coming back to that whole point about you know uh, how do we derive value in art and uh, i'll stick to examples that i'm more familiar with because I, i'm not really an art buff by any means in fact i never really understood the huge amounts of value they put i i understand why uh, you know renaissance artists and the picassos maybe they have certain values and sort but i still think it's over like it's way too overinflated for that matter um in the sense that i think we all derive value from as you said scarcity and uh, nothing is nothing can be the be- the biggest value pillar in anything if there is too much of it and be it art be it music and all that uh, and i'll give that example like uh, you guys have heard of this band called creed so uh, the 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 lead singer of creed has tried to commit suicide i think multiple times and each time his reasoning was that uh, the kind of like let's say each time his reasoning was that yeah the record company wants me dead why does the record company want him dead it's not for any nefarious reason it's just that it's it's good for the record companies when a popular band has a member who dies because that makes their music all the more sacred and if anyone has heard creed then you'd know their music is as far from sacred as you can get but the fact that if if one of their let's say band members suddenly died in his prime as what happened with someone something like nirvana where it was at the height of their popularity the icon of the nation was mysteriously killed or suicide who knows but uh, uh that gave it the kind of let's say commercial appeal the kind of artistic appeal the kind of covet uh, uh, uh which it never would have gotten had i think had nirvana continued to this day and age and that with art obviously there's that thing these some of these paintings and these artists are like 500 600 years old and all that and it, it's getting hard to really kind of reinvent that time and age cuz you were not getting another renaissance era we are increasingly moving on to a, a much more disassociated state where genuine art is at least in my opinion harder to find uh, be it in all forms of art and it also i think boils down to that really common human emotion where you just want something that someone else can't have and uh, like even think to a really personal level i think uh, think about your exes like i think you would have all coveted your exes a bit more had you known some like there were uh, lots of other people wanting them and uh, and you'd always have that doubt in your mind you know what did, did i lose out on something there but yeah so you know it, it, it all uh, it kind of like feeds into that emotion and, and it's exploited it's really exploited in this day and age but yeah i i, I don't but this is one of those emotions where i think there's not really any constructive way to deal with it it's going to happen regardless and um it's more like how you rationalize it and place it in kind of a common world view where you don't let it affect your decisions too much like i wouldn't want to go out and pay like 25 million dollars for like i don't know a picasso painting that was recently uncovered because at the end of the day what's the value of painting other than the fact that that the artist is dead You know. Yeah, but to kind of play the devil's advocate to your point, that's because you don't really care about art to begin with. But I'm sure if, like, for example, there was some sort of artifact retrieved from Manchester United yeah. history, uh, you would more likely to, you know, be interested in that. Maybe not 25 million, but but you would be interested. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. That, um, and I did, I do think of it from that perspective as well. And in that sense, I I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm a bit. 
like the rapid commercialization of your emotions really scares me and <laughs> i would hate it if someone took advantage of my emotion for a football team to scam me out of a lot of money <laughs> so yeah i i'd like to think that if something super valuable related to manchester united or the beatles or something like that came available i even if i had that kind of purchasing power i wouldn't like you know be scammed into buying something like that yeah but that's just me possibly so so like the the only time i have even thought about spending a discussion money for something that someone else might not spend is uh so every time there's a new james bond movie released they do a premiere yeah. of that at the royal albert hall in london where the royal family yeah. attends it the cast attends it and it's like a red carpet mm-hmm. event where you know you wear a tuxedo and all that sort of and uh, either you get invited to it because of like your stature or you know, who you are or you can buy tickets for it and that goes for about 10000 pounds uh, which is <laughs> i don't know how much it translates to and uh, march 31st last year was when they were supposed to do the premiere of no time to die the no time to die movie. yeah and i was about to buy like i was literally waiting <laughs> for <laughs> that to open up so that i could buy the ticket and in my head it seemed like uh, honestly it's it still seems like a, a, a viable thing to spend money on because <laughs> of how interested i am like if you look around the decor of my bedroom it's just james bond uh, artifacts souvenirs uh, vintage posters so the the experience of you know attending it with like the james bond cast with the royal family i was like i was going to pay money for that. i i don't know if i would have you know spent 10000 pounds on literally anything uh, uh, like it's not collectively <laughs> uh, so yeah but it's okay we all have our weaknesses and all that i i completely understand but the universe gave you a sign by introducing yeah. covid to this world <laughs> you should have spent 10000 that that is exactly why covid was reduced i feel not dollars <laughs> of course of pounds pounds yeah yeah pounds oh oh dear my heart that, is hurting anag my heart that, is really that, hurting <laughs> that's like 10% of our mba fees you were you were to throw it on a movie a movie a movie a franchise that has a history of producing inconsistent movies did <laughs> this is a debate i would pay to watch this is a debate i would pay to watch <laughs> as soon as you said that i'm like anag now will go on <laughs> okay can, no, am... uh, can you really defend every single james bond movie that has come out are you saying all of them are equally like masterpieces they're not masterpieces they're inconsistent uh, in live and let die they even introduce a supernatural element into it uh, in the 60s it was extremely sexist I know there are a lot of yeah. problems with it and I accept it but it still does not stop me from enjoying it so I'm going to <laughs> um you know still I'm not going to defend it but I I still continue to be uh, anyway, I think we we really really <laughs> gone off the rails here with our <laughs> discussion uh so so my question is uh, I always like to get get to some sort of descriptive conclusion to anything that we talk about uh of course mm-hmm. there's there's no way to kind of the first step is to 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 kind of reduce this feeling of regret when someone is gone either through actually dying or through kind of you know fading off in your life or just not ap- appreciating everything in your life that you would probably once it's gone uh what are some tangible steps we can take to kind of avoid that feeling of regret and as as like a a sub part of that question uh is there a way to kind of prioritize between especially relationships or things or experiences in terms of what you will probably miss yeah. more versus less yeah 
No, I, I, and I know you're, and it comes straight out of the book we're reading for the book club, uh, how we prioritize our time and allocate our resources effectively. But yeah, I, I uh, this is a very tricky question actually, because inherently that feeling of regret, I feel is one of the trickiest of emotions to deal with because I've met people who don't regret anything and they've made shitty decisions that, that make my head spin and they still don't seem to regret it. And then there are then there are people that I've seen like who made ten thousand euros pounds <laughs> decision. Had he I'm made, never it, letting yes. I'm sure go. he would. Sorry. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. It it costs about as much as a car, and he would have done it on a movie premiere. But anyway, but let's move on from his bad decisions. But yeah, he's an example of that. Probably if he had bought that ticket, I don't think he would have regretted it. There are some people who really value experiences, and I I completely respect that. I think at the end of the day, there's a good school of thought which says that once we're on our deathbed the experiences are all we have left there's no not really anything material so uh, that's uh, something that you know that's completely understandable but as, as i was saying you know there, i've met people who deal with who don't regret at all and there are people who make reasonably sound decisions but then seem to regret it still who are overthinkers generally and this overthinker word is used a bit too much these days but they did not want to use it but still uh, there are people like that and i don't really know how you can, I, I guess the easy answer is that you give your 100% in everything you try to do and you kind of prioritize things and you don't look back on the things that, um, let's say, aren't, you have chosen not to give importance to because if you've chosen to, let's say, deprioritize something, you can't really cry over it when it doesn't go as according to plan. Um, there's this quote from, uh, if you guys have seen the show Mad Men, where Don Draper says, um, life moves in only one direction and that's forward. And uh, I think that's that's actually a pretty decent kind of, um, let's say, I would say like not really a motto, but kind of like a philosophy to base. You know, like nothing of his life in that character is a philosophy to base on anything else. But this one line is actually pretty decent. Um, personally speaking, like, for example, I've used it to good effects in my life as well. Um, for example, uh, if I were to give something a very personal experience, that is that uh, when I was in high school, I used to play a lot of football soccer for all you Americans if they're watching. I don't think any Americans watch this, but still, uh, it's football. Uh, anyway, I used to play a lot of it. In fact, it was one of my favorite pastimes. I used to die for it. I used to go every day after school and all that. Um, I, of course, as I got older and the studies kind of creeped in, I stopped playing a little bit. But then I remember right around the time when I was 15, 16, I started playing very regularly again. There was a field right next to my house and uh, me and a friend and a few friends we used to gather up every night and play. So I was, re I was really enjoying that time of my life because like, you know, like it was like rediscovering an old habit. But what happened was after like two months of playing, uh, I got into this, I got a horrible injury. Uh, I basically had a double fracture on my arm. You can basically see the scar if you can see it. Yeah, it's like, so uh, basically my entire forearm went all, let's say 90 degree-ish, it wasn't looking right. And it was like both my bones were broken. Um, I had to get surgery. I had to get like a, a steel plate and six screws installed. And because it was such a, let's say, a really complicated break, I had, a, I had a bit of nerve damage as well. And in many ways, it kind of put this kind of a bit of trauma behind me in the sense that even when I was better, even when my arm was doing better, it was even when I was not 100%, but I was like, it was at least not my feet, which I used to play football. And I could go back to the field, but I just couldn't because, you know, I kept thinking of that injury over and over again. It was like, you know, I was having PTSD about it. And slowly what happens is you get older, you get into university and, you know, different things start tugging at your attention and your time is suddenly at a premium. And 
if you go a few years without playing football, football is the kind of sport that you really need fitness for. If you don't go, if you don't play for a couple of years, you kind of lose touch and you kind of lose it, any kind of natural instinct that you perhaps would have had when you were young. And that that kind of really affected me because you know, in a way, it was like overnight I kind of lost one of my biggest interests. And I think that at that point in time, not regretting was a big part of how I moved past because I had to be like, you know, this this is kind of the hand you're being dealt. And there are people who have been dealt worst, like let's say worse hands, sorry. And um, they've managed to do something with their lives. And, you know, this is nothing in comparison to that. So, you know, that that's when that quote used to play over in my head. That there's only one direction that life moves in, and that is forward. So I can't really influence anything that was behind me. I can only influence how I choose to deal with it going forward. And I think that's, that's kind of like uh, feeds into that. We don't really miss a lot of stuff. Like it feeds into health as well. Uh, when my both my hands were 100%, I, I didn't wake up in the morning and say, oh my God, I'm so grateful for my hands. But then when I had an injury, suddenly my hands were all I could think about. And when you don't, and it, that, that's, that, that's just naturally the way of it. Do I go back in time and think I should have appreciated my hands more? I don't think so. I think that's illogical to think of it. And in many ways, that's also illogical to think of a lot of the things we regret. That would you, had you gone back with the information you had, would you have done anything different? In disease relatives terms, if you had gone back in time and if you had the information that you had at that time, what else could you have done? You did what you naturally could have done at that point. And then things did not pan out. You never had the knowledge that someone would pass away or someone would be out from your life or you have a major health complication. And if you live in that kind of a mindset where you're always looking to avoid future regrets, then I think that's a really slippery slope in terms of you you slowly slide into paranoia. And uh, that's not, I don't think that's how anyone should lead their lives. Yeah, I agree with you on that. In fact, I feel like uh, it's actually easier to deal with the loss of someone if you have less and fewer memories with them as opposed to... Uh, if you end up spending more time and making more memories. Uh, so yeah, to your point about if, if I had retroactive information about things, could, would I have acted differently? Um, probably not. Uh, and I think you're also right about this whole, this whole emotion of regret is extremely complicated. It's not simple as anger, envy, grief, or sadness, uh, happiness. It's, mm. it's uh, extremely tricky. Uh, and yeah, I mean, not looking back is is a good good philosophy. I, although I, I always have trouble in kind of reconciling this this sort of philosophy of never looking back and also learning mm. from your mistakes. Like how do you how do you reconcile that? Because the more you start focusing on learning from your mistakes, that's when regret starts kicking in as well. That's an interesting perspective actually. But the way I see it is, do you have to go back and let's say retroactively analyze every kind of thing you did leading up to the mistake, then perhaps there's, if there's a purpose to it, it serves you in the future, then yes, for, for all intents, you should. But regret does creep in and you're right. And as I said, you know, it's a very tricky emotion to control because at a time, you know, you feel like if you did these things better, but um, so the book we're reading, it, it also tries to frame you know, business theories into kind of personal life theories as well. And I think when a business looks back, if you're still, if a business is still alive and kicking after having made all those mistakes, they think of those mistakes as a boom, as a, as a benefit that they can learn from. And I think that, that's a perspective that personally we can follow as well. If you feel that after you've made those mistakes, you're still alive and kicking, and you're still in a position to do something else going forward, then then perhaps it's 
it's for the better that you made these mistakes. It's one or other way that it's now, now the challenge is that you don't repeat it rather than dwell on it, which does not, no one any better. Yeah, I think uh, there's one thing that is dwelling in the past and one thing that's learning from your past. So to answer your question, Anna, I mean, it depends on where, how, how intensively you are actually uh, looking. I, I mean, we are kind of straying from the topic of, you know, decisions that we do in the past and uh, mistakes we make in the past. But um, if we are probably sticking to this conversation of this um, appreciating things slash people a lot more when they were there versus now when you realize they're not there. Um, there's nothing you can learn from such situations. I mean, it's, and I honestly feel like what both of you all have mentioned that not look into the past and kind of move forward. That's a great way to go. But also, why not look into the, why not feel what you're feeling? Like, why not go through that? That's, that's a way to cope as well, right? A lot of people just kind of like to feel that regret guilt etc and then kind of that's a coping mechanism for a lot of people i mean i don't know i'm not for me i mean maybe i don't know it's like therapy lessons going on right now <laughs> but um, i feel like the lines are very blurred both both in the context of what yeah. you said initially of you know dwelling on the past and learning from your mistakes and and this also of you know at, at what point does it become co- go from coping to just being obsessed. Obsessing, correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to... And also, to, exactly, uh, it's because this topic is uh, quite... So, again, I, I don't... Like, there is no established way of defining this topic. When you say miss something because it's gone it can mm. be gone as yeah. in someone gone who has forever. passed away gone as in some a friend who some memory huh, some memory or some friend you had who moved away or some memory you had which you could not have for a long time or some artwork music work which is kind of so i mean it, it's opened as anak said when we started this it's open to so many different ways that there are so many different ways you can talk about each of it. The, 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 the most uh, tangible sub-example of this that I want to focus on is the relationships that have faded away, but you can, there is potential to get them back. And, and the mm. first question is, should you work to get them back or should you write them off and then find new people to build those relationships with? And second, could you have done something for to have avoided this? Because kind of like, some 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 part of the book that we're reading. Uh, what do you guys feel on on that topic? Like, I think you know, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like you know, um, there is obviously that learning aspect of it, but the lines get blurred because it's a really slippery slope. You can dwell in nostalgia, and then you can be completely living in the past. And these are like the extreme versions. Of it. And uh, I think there's like a saying in show business: the moment you the moment you feel nostalgia about something, you're over. Because that's when you're looking at your past accomplishments and you don't think what's coming in the future. But so I think that you guys bring up a very salient point in the fact that there are ways to look at the past without it negatively affecting how you deliver it in the future. And there are ways to, let's say, feel what you feel. And also in terms of celebration, it doesn't have to be something negative. Like, you know, you celebrate your past achievements and you kind of look back on your life and you be like, you know what, it was good. Or these things I did, I'm proud of. Um, but then, you know, it's that, whether there's a perfect kind of, let's say, theory or framework that works for everybody, I, I really don't think so. It depends on how much level of regret you face on a daily basis. And uh, that's something incredibly r- rare to see someone who has a complete handle on their regret. Um, those are the, usually those, those are the people who don't think much about anything. And I envy them. But uh, other than that, you know, 
this is something that I think we, we all have to battle with because think about it from our perspective that we're about to do an MBA program of two years. I'm sure at the end of the MBA program, we'll be much better educated as to how to handle an MBA program, right? And then we'll look back on ourselves at this juncture and think that we should have done these things and it would have made our lives much better or these things would have enriched our lives you know, in the two years we were at Rotman or something like that. And that's exactly how I felt when I attended uh, university in, from my undergraduate degree. First, with to escape it, but you know, the degree to which you let it affect you, that's I think the key. Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. And this is what I was, yeah, kind of thinking as well. Um, and to answer your question, Anag, about, you know, friendships and relationships and kind of, um, would you want to put that extra effort into kind of getting them back? That was your question, right? Initially, uh, um, yeah. So it's again very subjective. Is it worth taking that extra effort, that mental, um, active mental work of reaching out to people, mending slash rekindling or whatever, like whatever reason it was that <laughs> made you drift apart, whether it was an issue, whether it was a fight, whether it was just simply life changes and you drifting apart. Um, depends on if if it is actually worth it. And I, again, this takes me back to uh, uh, the conversation we had with Oni on relationships and, and how uh, uh, important they are in life and when you should stop chasing them. So yes, I forgot the second part of the question. And I, in fact, I was also thinking of the exact same discussion. So like uh, to paint the picture, I've in my lifetime, I've built a lot of friendships in, in India, in, mm. in the US, mm. in the UK that I've met. Uh, a lot of those friendships were, again, triggered by a matter of convenience of being at the same place at the same time. And and going For forward, sure. the life that I look at, I am fairly confident that I will never be in the same city or even the same country as those people for the rest of my lifetime. Does it make sense to, you know, uh, and, and because of that, they've obviously fallen off. Like we've both fallen off uh, each other's sort of radars and barely interact outside of maybe social media. Um, so I always, like I, I feel this sort of compulsion to go back and rekindle all my friendships. But then on the other mm. hand, I feel that there's no point. Like I should probably be like Samin said, look forward and rather than investing, like if I have a weekend worth of time to, you know, spend time in socializing rather than rekindling my friendships of people in London and the US, I should do that with, let's say, our cohort at Rotman and find, you know, try to build more friendships with new people. So, so, so like, what, what are your thoughts on this sort of dilemma? Firstly, I think um, if you've had, as Akshita was, I think, alluding to, like, if you've had an inamicable split with someone, then whether you want to rekindle or repair that those lines, I think it depends on how good of a, how good you are at forgiveness. And I will admit it freely, I am terrible at this. I I don't I just cannot seem to forgive people. I'm I'm a terrible rememberer of things. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in terms of what Anag has said, I think that that's very that's I think that that's a very like it drives at the philosophy of how we build and maintain friendship because there are friendships like think before the day and age of social media. If you kind of lost in touch contact with your college buddy, you'd probably meet them the next time, maybe 25 years later or never. You just never know, like you'd never meet them ever again. And that people somehow survived back then, didn't they? And, uh, you know, because, you know, in many ways, there's a limited portion of your time you can spend. And you kind of have to categorize, or that's the way I see it, is you, you categorize your friends into your core roots, the people who, who are your core, let's say, 
friend, friends and who you spend a lot of time and effort in certain parts of your life to maintain friendships. So then you, those are the kinds of relationships you hold on to because you know those are the types which give you the most, let's say, social benefit or the most peace of mind or the kind of recreational benefit we seek from friends, the comfort and uh, let's say the, the companionship. And then there are friends who are, let's say, more of on the fringes of your life. And they are friends you've made when you've gone to school or you went to work or you just happen to live in the same building or something like that. And these are the friends that I, I think we shouldn't really obsess over. These are the friendships will naturally occur. And just as they naturally occur, they naturally die. Because uh, unless there was something really binding you guys together, it doesn't seem wise to expend so much effort in trying to keep a friendship alive where you know that in terms of pure social utility, it might have run its course. And that's and by by that, I don't mean to shun aside these people into this no, uh, let's say, no contact list. But it's one of your, it should be on the on the firm back burners of your headspace. You shouldn't spend any time thinking about whether I should contact that guy I met six years ago somewhere. What I wonder what he's doing now. And I think social media kind of um, exacerbates this issue of, like, I don't know, longing. Because, you know, sometimes you get to see, like, snippets of people's lives who you don't really interact with on a regular basis. You have no idea who they are anymore. You just see like pictures and shit. And um, it's kind of like, and uh, nostalgia and kind of remembrance have a way of, let's say, um, bleaching memories to only the good parts where you remember, oh my God, remember that one conversation I had with him, which was kind of decent. And you forget like the six years of, let's say, non-communication with that person. And uh, it's kind of like where you, you put it yourself into a, your shoes and you think that if this person if when i went back and when i was interacting with him daily how much of a friend was he really or were we just kind of acquaintance and having acquaintances is like the best thing ever i think you know the more people you know the more easier it is to become friends with them if, in case you ever cross paths again and that's 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 i think enough for me for someone like me like i know you by name i know i know the basic aspects of your life if we ever cross paths i think there's something we can connect on if we don't then it's okay. There's only so much time we have left on this earth. Yeah, and I, you, I think you summarized it beautifully. I was not able to put it to words. And uh, social media is definitely the trigger because otherwise, you know, in fact, I feel like it was easier for people who, who were pre-social media where they'd probably forget about the existence of, you know, their college classmates. So it did not matter mm. to them whether they see them 25 years later. And, and that is true. Like, in my school, in my undergrad or whatever, like I have a few friends probably who are not in social media and I've, I've actually forgotten their names also. So, so I obviously don't miss <laughs> them anymore. It, it's the ones that keep, keep sending these sort of reminders and, and you, you're right about nostalgia as well. It, it's kind of like the theory people say about getting over a breakup where you just remember the romanticized, rose-tinted parts of your relationship. Similarly with these sort of friendships where you just think about that one good conversation over that one experience and then all of this awkwardness or like basically just sort of uh, almost forced interaction that you have. In, yeah, indifference or the fact that it was mostly because you sit next to that person or your, your co-workers or something like that. Like, uh, so that, yeah. And, and, and I feel like the ones that you really, really, you know, connect with or like really, really hit it off, those people don't also fall off the wagon very, even if there's not enough yeah. interaction. And yeah, okay. Yeah, like it, it, the people who are meant to stick around, I think they definitely do stick around in some form or another. And uh, I've really faced this because like personally speaking, uh, 
from my high school, like I went to one school my entire life, 16 years, like from like play group levels to all the way up to secondary, you know, just about college. Um, and so most of my, a lot of my friends were there from that beginning stage, like from when I was three years old to when we graduated at 18. And uh, so obviously these were like, these people were almost like a furniture in my life. Like they, they formed part of my scenery and uh, a lot of people I grew up with. And what happened was after, I, after we graduated school, almost all of them went abroad for their undergraduate, like pretty much all of them. And, you know, I think at that point in time, I could have sat there thinking, oh my God, I'm losing uh, a bunch of my friends. Obviously not all of them were like my closest of buddies, but a lot of them were. And uh, I could have thought that they're moving away. We'll probably not be in the same city again, if ever. Uh, We'll meet maybe once every two, three years max. Um, Are these friendships worth keeping? But then, I see that, you know, I, I look back on it now, like seven, eight years down the line, and I'm in touch with almost everyone I'm supposed to be in touch with. And I I know exactly who they are. I know what's happening in their lives that I'm just as close as friends with them as I was back in school when I see them, every, like, when I see them physically every day. And, and I think that really taught me that, you know, friendships require time and effort, but they shouldn't require so much time and effort where you're actively having to place like markers in your mind that I have to connect with these people. And that's when you know you're forcing it and nothing in life should be forced. Yeah, oh my God, I, we really I, digressed from the topic. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think the, the, the best podcast episodes are the ones where you kind of go off the range and then good, you have good, good, meaningful conversations. So I, I don't mind it. Plus, mm-hmm. honestly, I, I didn't think to begin with that there was one hour worth of content to be <laughs> squeezed out of this topic. So <laughs> we would have had to digress at some point of time. <laughs> Um, holy shit there there is it's already been one hour i think i think <laughs> let's 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 then uh, begin to wrap up any any final thoughts you have on the topic um not really i think um uh, sorry not <laughs> got that part or not. i do have thoughts of it <laughs> in that sense um, um yeah in terms of i think um it's as we mentioned multiple times and it's come up and i think we each like three of us in this podcast today i think each one of us feels regret in a different way and we kind of have our priorities and how we assess things we do and like anag was saying and i'll bring it up again because actually i also brought it up that if he spent ten thousand dollars on that sorry ten thousand pounds on that um uh, james bond ticket i think he would have been fine with it because that's who he is and he would he would have valued for him that would have been a value of ten thousand pounds of experience god knows who else thinks that way but anyway uh, but as for Love like, I think this thing on <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, that, as I was saying, like, uh, you know, do when we are naturally inclined to uh, humans, I think our psychologies are basis assigning value on a relative basis in the sense that since Anag has now put a price tag on a James Bond ticket, I automatically feel I should pay a little bit more, not 10,000 pounds, but I should pay a little bit more for my James Bond ticket as well. Because I feel like if he's wanting it, then there's probably some sort of value here, which I'm not seeing. And I, I, I would, if I trusted him, then I would trust that his judgment is assigning that value. And I think um, that's kind of how we uh, do things when they're gone as well. Because uh, that's why I think art, there's lots of other people who think that thing, that piece of art is worth 25 million and that, that's how the assigned value goes around. And because of that scarcity in having something and losing it, if you don't have it, the value goes up. And we all try to, I think, let's say, uh, mitigate that feeling. And I'm going off on a tangent here, but um, I think the way I feel about it is it's inevitable. We are definitely going to miss things. We're going to be in fear of things that 
are gone and we are going to overvalue things that have gone before their time, at least perception wise. Um, and that has been done not just by us, but by the entire world in general. It's going to continue happening. It's just how you choose to deal with these feelings. I think in a way, for some people, logic is a strong, let's say, antidote to this kind of, uh, let's say, irrational feelings. And But there are also some people who completely hate logic when it comes to emotion. And uh, to each his own in that way. But it's, it's, I think the key takeaway should be that don't let your emotions about something once they're gone affect any kind of real decision that you make based on it. Because when we make some kinds of decisions based on some overblown emotion, down the line, we tend to regret it. And that's when you have that whole concept of regret and all. So I think, you know, feeling, uh, thinking of others the most when they're gone, whether that's a feeling that's a friend, whether that's a deceased relative, that's something we can definitely not control. But what we can control is what we do with that feeling. And, you know, that's what I'd urge everyone who's to do that. Fair enough. I feel like now I, I need to defend my decision to <laughs> intending to buy the 10,000 pound ticket. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll walk you guys through my rationale. So people, when they buy a luxury car or they, when they go on holidays, uh, all of these purchases are not required central to survival. These are all hedonistic purchases and uh, they can essentially be cut off. The other thing is yeah. when people, uh, so, so, so 10,000 pounds right now for me uh, being in like my third year, fourth year of my career is, is a significant amount of money. Maybe when I'm 45, 50 years so. old is not, will not be as significant uh, relative to what it is now as a percentage of what I earn and what my saving net worth is. But, but the problem is the event that was going to happen yeah. probably will not happen. Uh, Dan Craig is going to retire. MGM Studios yeah. is going to get bought over by Amazon. And the queen might die any any day. Uh, or maybe not. She'd probably outlive all of us. She'd probably outlive <laughs> all of us. But, but my point was, and I was in London at the time. So my point was that looking at all of these factors and looking at how much of... Uh, it is something that I will probably look, look fondly to for the rest of my life. Like, I... If, if I bought a luxury car, if I go on a holiday, I would not think about it as much as I would have thought about it. So for me, it was extremely yeah. valuable and it wasn't just going to watch a movie. If you put it that way, yes, it's, you know, it's like you can literally download a pirated version of it and watch it at home for free. So compared to that, 10,000 pounds is is like a, a huge price difference. But it has relative yeah. value to me, which it probably will not do other people. So that was kind of my piece and my... <laughs> yeah. your justification in complete yeah, honesty Anag, I, I completely knew your process I, I definitely this is you're not the first person to spend obsessively on something and you'll yeah. not be the last I, I know yeah. that this is the exact reason people give and and I completely agree with you for what it's worth I'll say yeah. this at the end of the podcast so that a lot of people do I that. They have like this one thing that they want to do correct. Yeah. I made that statement because I knew it's going to raise eyebrows. And I'll tell you, I've been obsessive about this since the start. Uh, in 2015, mm-hmm. I went to do a Euro trip because at that point of time, they were having this exhibit called w- 007 in Bond in Motion, where they basically collected all the cars that were ever featured in a James Bond mm-hmm. movie from the hobbyist oh, collectors wow. from around the world. And they put it up in London yeah. for like a two month, three month period. So I went to Europe just for that. And then I went to their gift store and I bought like a g- bunch of things. And compared to the average <laughs> attendee of that exhibit, I bought like a lot of stuff. So much so that the girl at the gift shop thought I was some sort of 
Middle Eastern prince and she started hitting on him. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> This has to happen with Anna. <laughs> no, no. Course, congratulations to you. Like, I, I really think that I love people who are so passionate about something that they're willing yeah, to... Yeah, actually, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm so shallow. I'm not, I don't have anything I'm so passionate about where I can go all out and be, you know, it's like, give so much. So it's actually nice to see, you know, people who have like a few interests. I think if I was, when I was, when I was younger, if you gave me the opportunity to like, perhaps see Manchester United in the Champions League final, a ticket for that. Like I remember uh, last year, the Euros were supposed to happen in 2020 and sitting in 2019, I was planning on buying tickets to go up to London. I had everything set up. And the only tickets that were left were the super VIP ones for like 600 mm. euros uh, mm. a seat. And like, I was pretty much done paying until mm. the last minute. I was like, you know what? I'm going to convert this into Taka. Yeah. And then I'm going to see the shit that this, this doesn't make sense. I'm paying for one seat in, a, in one game. That <laughs> I don't even know who's going to win those games. I don't even know who's going to play that final because it's one year yeah. ahead. I'm yeah. just paying for that final. And, and I, I thank God that I did not like click on the payment because it would have been a complete waste of money because of COVID and all that. Yeah, But like, yeah. I, I, I can see where Anak's coming from. Like, I felt those emotions as well. And I respect people who have very firm passions. And it's a, it's a 180 degree flip on what I used to believe in up until undergrad. Like, up until undergrad, I did not get why people would, you know, spend uh, mm. thousands of rupees on a holiday that would last them, let's say, two mm. to three days when you could spend that mm. money on buying a new television or buying the latest and greatest in consumer electronics, which you could have for at least a few years. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. what I realized was that even with these sort of tangible things that you can buy, like you said, you could buy a car for that amount. The, the excitement, the happiness, the satisfaction lasts about the same. And in, in mm. a few years down the line, it's the experiences that stay with you much longer than like material things. And that's where I was like, okay, for fine. Sure. I don't, I don't, I don't sure. care about all, all of this. Sure, sure. You're right. As long as you can eat after spending 10,000 pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my, my consumer spending habits are extremely odd for, for someone analyzing it and comparing it to like the average. <laughs> things I spend money on, no, no. I think people will not spend them on. And I don't spend money on things which move. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Let's compare notes because I think I'm I'm very similar in that. Uh, <laughs> sure. Like I'm actually like uh, so when I joined Unilever, I joined with a cohort of friends, right? Mm. Like we were all part of the same like mm. entrance, mm. and mm. so you know, we, like when we joined, it was like a lot of money. Like coming from nothing, we were mm. suddenly earning a lot of money every month. Mm. So it's like after like around like uh, seven or eight months, we took a check, like a ba- bank balance check. Hmm. And I just fell off a cliff when one guy told me he had like a hundred dollars in his account. And I was like, dude, what the, where the fuck did your money go? Like mm-hmm. you've earned like thousands of dollars in this, in, in that space and time. He's like, what you guys, you don't spend on shit. And I was like, I do, but like, I still have mm-hmm. money left over. <laughs> and thank, thank God I had this kind of mindset because that's how I'm really being able to pay for my MBA right now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah I, I i i completely relate to that because like the things i've spent on it's ridiculous what's the most ridiculous thing that... you've spent money on so i remember going to malaysia when i was 15 mm-hmm. and uh, i remember going uh so my dad gave me like a thousand dollars to spend mm-hmm. uh there and sorry he gave me 500 dollars. Mm-hmm. he gave me 500 dollars, and i remember going there and thinking that you know what i'm going to buy a like football shoe um so i so i went into the adidas store and i bought one 
you know, pretty much within my price range, it was around 75 to 80 dollars. It was mm -hmm. kind of, it was great. Then, like, I remember just before I was coming, like, on my last day there, we went to the mall again to, you know, do last minute shopping. Suddenly, the Nike store caught my eye. And then I went in and I bought another one. <laughs> also, literally, literally the same shoe, just the, the Nike version of it. And I just bought another one. And I came home and I was just so embarrassed showing my dad that I spent like, I'd spent like 30% of the money he gave me on two shoes. That's, yeah. Yeah. But I've grown up. Just to know yours, Anand. My, yeah, the I'm most thinking. ridiculous thing, this this was probably the most ridiculous thing I would have spent money on. Apart from that, I actually, so, uh, I actually save money on things. So, like, my apartment in London was, like, literally as big as a shoebox. And I was, like, the fact that it's located in central London and the rent I was paying for it was mm. because I could mm. care less about, you know, my apartment. Uh, similarly, I, with, with, like, my clothes, I have my entire wardrobe can be literally every piece of clothing that I own can be put inside a large suitcase. That's it. That's all I have. And that's what I've worn since 2006. Uh, mm, and this includes same, like same, suits same. and everything. Yeah. So, so that, and then I don't spend as much money on like alcohol, cigarettes, weed, and other recreational drugs. I save like a shit ton of money compared to my peers. Shit ton of uh, I'm mostly, I'm mostly always single and not in a relationship, so I save a lot of money in that department as well. <laughs> oh my god, dude, you're you're reading my life back to me. <laughs> uh, I used to I used to be really interested in like eating out and traveling, but now I've reached a very depressing point where now every experience of eating out and every experience of travel is no longer a very novel experience for me. Like now they've all started blurring into each other. Together, uh, yeah, and so now, like, I've, I've kind of lost the novelty as well, and so I don't spend too much money there either yeah. as much as I used to. I think it's, yeah, it's very similar for me because anyone who knows me knows like I'm the most anti materialistic person that can ever exist to an extent where it pisses me off. Like, if you gift me I something, love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I get so irritated if it's something of monetary value i mean i don't know it's, mm. it's a weird thing um but yeah it, the most anti-person all of my clothes literally all of them um uh, i don't think any of them cost more than 500 literally in rupees this is me speaking but uh not a single piece of clothing and none of them are branded i i just have that thing i don't understand this hype of brands and mm. um watches and you know accessories mm. and i don't so anyways as Anak said, I kind of, um, you, I don't mind. So I'm, I'm also a spendthrift in that. Sorry, not spendthrift. What, sorry. Uh, what's the opposite of miser? Sorry, I forget the word. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a miser in that sense where I kind of like to save money as much as possible. But then there are situations where I don't mind. I don't look at the uh, money to be spent. Like, uh, hmm. suppose I've gone surfing like a few times this time. I spend a lot on it. it it's an expensive sport, etc. But so cool, yeah. I've never, and now I've not looked at the money because I know that this is something I don't mind spending. I uh, spending on like the same. Even if one percent of that money I had to spend on something really important, which was like a piece of formal clothing for an MBA event, I'd be like, no, <laughs> I don't want that. It's cool. I'll manage my way through. But yeah, and I don't know why you started blurring on for travel. I mean, that's the one thing 
uh, I mean, I'm so with, with travel, to... with travel, I think it like... depends on if you've done the kind of same, similar kind of yeah. travel with yeah. similar kind of people, then it kind of, so it, it like, kind of gets. So like, for example, European cities, all of them, you've seen one, you've seen them all. They'll all the have same. churches yeah. and they'll have yeah, like cobblestones. They'll have sausages uh, being city served. Center. Yeah. Uh, with beach destinations, they're all, all the same. So, so now, uh, unless there's like some sort of, like, for example, I've not done Africa. I've not done Latin America. So those countries mm. will be novel experience. Uh, I've even done, I've Should even have done, done like, Turkey. Should I've have done, done Turkey. <laughs> two weeks in Alaska. So any snow destination with snow sports and all of that is not that exciting anymore. So, so my point is that unless it's a novel experience, otherwise it kind yeah. of just starts, even with cuisine, right? I've had most, like so many cuisines in the world that now, like for example, in a- Asian cuisines, if I have something, uh, I had Laotian cuisine for the first time in 2017. But by that point of time, I had mm. so much of Southeast Asian cuisine that it was all the same. Like I, it wasn't like a novel explosion in my mouth that, you know, I'm having something different. Uh, so now, like with food and stuff also, it's not like, it does not excite me as much as it used to. Okay. So I don't spend sense, on it. Yeah. Maybe 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 sense. you're maybe you're just in a phase. Maybe I think you know once you I get think it depends. New... Yeah, exactly. Suppose you do the same trip, like same Europe trip with like a new set of people who are into a new set of things or, than or what alone. you have done or alone. Yeah, exactly. Like just basically a different experience. Maybe that can. Uh, so we were talking about all of this in like the cost slash spending uh, same point of view. So correct, like like correct. for example, like how. Rahul mentioned in the last episode that rather than going to on a Euro trip, he'd, he'd just like to chill in Goa again. So, so in that context, yes, if I'm, if I'm changing other variables and I'm using the other levers of what I'm doing and who I'm doing with, then I can achieve those mm. kind of holidays and that sort of variety domestically in whatever country I'm staying at rather than going for slightly more expensive international trips. Mm. That is, mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm getting at, but there's no like okay. point in keeping that as you know an area of spending uh, but that being that said i agree that i have i have led a very flamboyant lifestyle and i don't have too much of savings as much as i could have but possibly have and going forward i hope to remedy it um, <laughs> or i'll be in a, a very <laughs> terrible situation 10 years down the line that's what that, that's <laughs> where the mba degree comes in and all the, the, the second salary. the second you asked the question was the most ridiculous thing you've spent a large amount of money on my my i think anak saw me laugh my answer was the mba like <laughs> this <MBA. laughs> I, I i think i'd like to change my answer as well i think <laughs> the most ridiculous thing i've ever no, i've never jumped like, in <laughs> My undergrad was free, and that coming from that, and mm-hmm. oh God, like all the money I've earned over the last three years is just like, mm-hmm. and like before it's this, good. like you guys were talking about clothes, right? I, I, the way I used to is like every summer I used to go abroad for maybe a trip or something. I dye all my clothes for the next two years from from one of the summer sales I used to catch. Like I remember going to London in 2018, and they were giving like the most massive sale, and I just bought like all my clothes for the next three four years from there. I completely hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I've done. I've all my life, like all my life. And I don't know if a lot of people know this about me. I uh, recycle my clothes. Recycle as in I wear the same clothes. So I'm literally Anag in the last thirty podcasts that we have done. I think at least twenty of those times when I'm wearing something has been more than six years old. So like I kind yeah. of preserve slash 
continue and i'm sure i'm carrying them also to canada so i'm going to add on to the legacy there so it's yeah it's wow. i buy them in bulk and then kind of like you know wear this wear them it's a very weird thing i mean it's not because i mean it's not because of any other reason it's just that i don't if it's in perfect quality if it's in con- proper perfect condition why why buy new stuff when you don't need Yeah, throwaway culture is bad for the environment, guys. We're all doing, we're all doing the environment a favor, so we should feel more. Yeah. So my philosophy is, I don't buy anything new until something kind of gets thrown out. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you have a need for it, a actual need for it, then why kind of? But then again, a lot of people have interests. A lot of people want. Yeah, so I'm not again criticizing them. That's that's their yeah, that's that's their exactly that's their uh... that's their. <laughs> yeah, so, I think you're the last person to criticize. No, but I, I will criticize them a little bit because I feel like see, your it's very specific. Like you have a James Bond, let's say, complete fandom, and you want James Bond things because you generally feel about James Bond. There are lots of people who buy stuff because they've seen things on social media which kind of they want to aspire to, and it's not anything specific. They'll buy a new car. because it looks good on social media they buy a new house because it, its background is better they'll buy better clothes because that's what they've seen the the influencers wearing or using yeah. products and all yeah. that and yeah. that part i judge a bit because like i'm like you're being bought and sold by this consumerist economy like multiple times over and you just don't see it but i know man uh, to each his own i have i have a i have a friend who got uh, who works in new york and he got laid off in new york uh, mm. in mm. like the peak of the covid pandemic and then he had too much yeah. to find a new job because otherwise like his visa thing would have been in like a day before this two month timeline ended he found a new job and you know the first thing he did was he bought a new car <laughs> he got a brand new alfa romeo <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, like these people i just I, i i don't know if i could like keep my face straight Like I've had friends like that as well. I I I I I like lashed out at them. Like what's wrong with you? Like I feel bad for you. So so see if he was living in a city like Dallas, where you know you do need a vehicle to get around, or Los Angeles, yeah, and you're just getting a nicer yeah. one, that would have been fine. He lives in the middle of Manhattan, where he does not even get to take his car out. He pays he pays three hundred dollars just in parking to park his car outside his home. And then another three hundred and fifty dollars in parking tickets, and then he spends <laughs> one hour just going through downstairs. So it's it's a completely hedonistic purchase that he's not really going to use. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but that's his thing. He, I guess he likes cars. <laughs> okay. Don't don't worry. We'll we'll sit in like the Rotman common room and criticize all people's like spending habits. <laughs> spending <from> habits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I see that's can, a new can, bag. Did you really need it? <laughs> Yeah, the the net in- impact club will will be staring <laughs> case competition. Uh, all right, a uh, final um, question for you, uh, Shamin. Um, I think we've kind of I think the interesting insight of the week has been <laughs> basically <laughs> roasting my spending habit. So I just ask you <laughs> a final question, which is uh, who would you like featured as the next guest on the podcast? Mm, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of people I still don't know yet. Um, have you guys had uh, have had uh, Rajdeep or Reva on? Okay, great. That that's one of my options down. Uh, um, who else? Who? I'm trying to I'm trying to look back at. Um, sorry, I'm taking more time than because I'm I'm cycling through my head because there's so no many people we've met on the cohort already and there's so many names that just pops up in my head. Um, you could 
have you guys uh, had sumaya on no we haven't okay so sumaya is with kind of guys i don't so it, it, i guess like the, the the bangladeshi contingent is probably in the running for the smallest contingent in the cohort <laughs> my apologies mm-hmm. if if it's if if she and i our background sound a little very extremely similar to you guys because she's yeah, also from the same university as well as you said universidad and dhaka and university of dhaka yeah. and i'm just like okay cool it sounds like samaya <laughs> yeah we went to the same university we worked at the same place exact same background <laughs> oh, she was for unilever as well unilever yeah yeah oh, wow. she, but she worked in marketing so uh, that's that, yeah. that's a bit of diversity for you <laughs> <laughs> interesting the only other person from uh, so uh, i have one friend from bangladesh who currently works in deloitte Uh, who was with me in grad school in the US uh and the other person i know worked worked for godrej in in dhaka and in marketing mm-hmm. as well uh, so cpg yeah. brand seem to be quite quite uh, popular as careers yeah pretty much cuz like um so a lot of the key industries here are kind of missing like we don't have any investment banking kind of opportunities here because uh we you know, don't have any major investment bank. banks don't really we don't have any investment banking in india also bro don't worry about us <laughs> <laughs> but we, we don't we don't really have consulting either none of the big three consulting firms are operating here either okay so it's like the biggest mncs or let's say the global companies really are the cpg because they really manufacture here so it's like you know unilever then british american tobacco nestle mm-hmm. uh, then um, indian company merico Uh, mm-hmm. So these are the you know the big hires and you know, stuff like that. Tobacco is ridiculously large here. Like I'm I'm really upset about that. <laughs> but like this, uh, but uh, yeah. So so generally you'll see that um, people from business school like so I went to the business school that's uh, it's considered to be the leading business school in Dhaka. So most of us who graduate from here either go into banking, which is like HSBC and Standard mm-hmm. Chartered mm-hmm. and all that, or we go into CPGs like Unilever and BAT. You know? So yeah, you'll see a. Uh, you do not see much diversity from the people going abroad they'll usually work in like six seven companies cool i think uh, that that wraps it up thank you so much for joining uh, it was yeah. a fun insightful discussion and also i hope so i, I hope you didn't bo- i didn't bore you guys no 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 i i, I think it was uh, an exciting discussion at least for me um, it was like definitely yeah. yeah thank you so much for joining it was fun it was i had someone to co-host uh, co-host in roasting <laughs> anak today <laughs> that was that was a good good uh, yeah anytime uh, anytime <laughs> thank you so much for joining us so this is going to go up in uh, august 21 whoa that's that's two months away <laughs> you guys have a long black <laughs> you guys have a huge backlog of episodes <laughs> yeah we were trying to we trying to get uh, till the end of august done and then we'll take a long hiatus until september makes sense makes sense okay so by the time this releases i'll be out of a job already yeah. so i'll have no <laughs> nothing to worry about who listens to it <laughs> perfect yeah. Yeah. glad that yeah. worked out well for you okay i'm going to stop recording now